0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Today we're going to talk about arriving and what the resurrection body looks like. When you think about this idea of arriving, I think I think on earth we have this idea that when this happens, whatever this may be, I will have Arrived, I can remember when I was eight years old, my dad was a basketball coach, and so there was this time in life when we lived and breathed and slept basketball and so we 're at this um, this little town we 're in, and kind of basketball was life as we knew it and there 's this competition, and my dad 's there, and he 's in the old man competition, and i 'm in the eight year old competition and we both win, and I was excited that I had had beat everybody, right? Because you tend to be excited about those things when you're eight. But I really thought, man, when I can beat the, the older guys, that I will really have arrived. And fortunately for me, that's not true, because that day wasn't ever going to come. Um, you wouldn't have to watch me play basketball long to know I'm not going to be the shooting guard for the Warriors, Okay. But then when I got a little older, when I was in junior high, I thought, man, when I get to high school, those high schoolers, I I will have arrived. Life will be great when I'm in high school. The problem is then you get to high school and you're just a freshman and then there are those seniors and maybe when I'm a senior, I will have arrived and I can drive then and blah, 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 blah. And then when you're a senior, you realize, no, 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 I haven't yet arrived when I get to college then I will have arrived. But when I got to college, nobody was cooking for me anymore. And I had to do some of my own laundry, which didn't tend to go very well. So I just ended up not doing it very much for that seven-year period. And uh, that's not funny, right? Um, so, So then you think, well, when you get married, I will have arrived. And And then, maybe when you get in the workforce, I will have arrived, but then there's that whole work thing you have going on, and maybe when we have a couple of kids, we'll have arrived, and we had a couple of kids, and we have arrived, and now we've got five kids, and let me tell you, boy, we have arrived. (laughs) We're not going any further there. But then, then you think, well, maybe if I get this house, or maybe if I get this car, or you've heard Gary talk about it, I've talked about it, I think... One of the greatest pictures of this is in our society when Tom Brady, after he won his third of however many Super Bowls, he's won now. Surely, if, if you're an athlete and you've won three Super Bowls as a quarterback, you've arrived, right? And Tom Brady, Tom Brady says, "Surely there's got to be something something more than this." He sold a house for 41 million dollars last year. Surely. Surely there's got to be something more than this. Or maybe you're actually at that place and you think, oh, we have arrived. Well, let me tell you then, you can know you actually haven't. There's a lot more to look forward to. Today, when we read the text about resurrection, really what we're reading about is that day when we arrive. And here's what I think. When we think about having arrived, what comes to our mind is, when I get to that place, it, they just won't be able to get any better. And that's actually not true. When we arrive, the joy will just get better and better and better. When we have arrived, the reality is it'll never, it'll never be able to be bad again. It'll never be able to be bad again. Because you can have the greatest of life circumstances, and then life can spring something on you that you're just not ready for. And what we're talking about today is a day when that is all past tense. So let's read in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in about verse 35 in our reading. Paul has laid a foundation in this chapter that the most important thing for believers is that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and He rose from the third day on the third day according to the Scriptures. And a lot of people saw Him and that Christ is in fact raised from the dead. If He weren't, we would be... To, pitied above all men. If there's no resurrection, the Christian life, make no mistake about it. Sometimes you hear people say, hey, if I live this life and I'm wrong, I've still lived a good life. And that is thoroughly unbiblical. Paul says if this life only is the life we hope in Christ, we're to be pitied above all people. But in fact, Christ is raised from the dead. And that resurrection is laying a foundation for our future resurrection. So in verse 35, he says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? <clears throat> and when I read that, I think that could be just an honestly skeptical question. Someone just wonders. But Paul doesn't treat it that way. He gives it a sharp answer. Verse 36, You foolish person." What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are all those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are we who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of, man, of of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. God, we thank You for this truth, that we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. God, we thank You that these bodies that will be sown perishable, in dishonor, weak, natural, will die. And one day... We will be raised imperishable in glory and power spiritually. It's a mystery, God, we don't understand it, but we pray you would reveal in your word to us just what it might be like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse thirty five, Paul asks this question <clears throat> What's this going to be like? What's this going to be like? And he gives his sharp answer because it was a question that was being asked in his day in Corinth that would have been being asked by Gnostics. Well, Why is a body raised? And they would have asked that question because they thought the body was evil or flesh was not good. It would have been undesirable for the dead to be raised, because why would we want this body then to be raised? They didn't understand resurrection. There was another group of people who would follow the teaching of docetism, and that was this, that Jesus, when He was on earth, wasn't really fully human and fully God. He was just kind of a spirit being. People looked at Him, and He looked human. He looked real, but He wasn't in fact real. When He walked, He wasn't actually leaving a footprint. Well, that was a false teaching about who Jesus was that some in the church were buying into. Today, it might look like this. Our friends who are, who are Muslim, our Islamic friends, they don't believe that Jesus actually died when He was hung on a cross and, and His wrists, His feet were nailed and a spear was stuck in His side and water flowed and He was buried. They don't believe it. And Paul is saying, you foolish person, you foolish person, And then he gives them a picture of resurrection. It's almost like he's saying, it's almost like he's saying, why would you find it incredible that God would raise the dead? That's what he asked King Agrippa in Acts 26.8. Why would you find it incredible? There's a God who made the world and everything in it. The God who literally set the stars in motion And He is the one who hung the moon. He gives life and breath and everything else to all people at all times. He makes the seasons change and crops grow. Why would you find it incredible that this God can raise the dead? So He gives us a picture of resurrection, and He gives that picture from nature. Verse 36, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it's a, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body, as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Well you see these plants here or this plant and these these squash and pumpkins. And see if you wanted to grow one of these, you wouldn't take these and you wouldn't take this plant and you wouldn't dig a hole that this would fit in and bury it. Of course not. You just go to Lowe's and buy it, right? No. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. You take a seed that's dead, by the way, and you plant this little seed, and then something beautiful and amazing and wonderful comes out as you water it. And as the sun shines on it, and as the rains fall, it comes in, in this form that's much more great than this is. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It gives pleasure to us through its, our sight or through the scent or through the food that it produces. Now, it is the same life form, but it's a different substance. See, Paul says what you sow is not what you get out of the ground. It looks different. You plant one kernel of corn, and what comes out on average are two ears of corn that each have 1,600 kernels and they're all together, not separate. You plant it dead and life comes about. It's this picture of resurrection. Sometimes when we talk about general revelation, this idea that Romans 1 speaks of that says that people are without excuse because all people know there's a God. He has made Himself known. He's done it through His divine attributes and His invisible nature so that that these can be seen through what has been made. Well, that's all well and good, Chase, but what about resurrection? What about resurrection? That's so hard to believe. But in nature, God gives us a picture of resurrection over and over in spring and summer and fall and winter. We see these patterns of death and resurrection every time we pick up a seed-bearing fruit. We see that resurrection happens all around us. So what you sow is not what is raised. So when we're raised to life, it will be a continuation of this body, but it will be different. See, there were things that were similar about Jesus when His disciples saw Him when He raised, when he'd risen from the dead, but there were things that were different too. For instance, He could walk through walls. That's not normal, right? And yet Thomas said, I believe when I see the holes in His hand and the spear in His side, and... And he said, Thomas, you you want to see? There were holes in his hands. There was a a mark where the spear had been in his side. There was this continuation. They knew it was Jesus, but they didn't know in the same way that they might have previously known. We will be us, those of us who are in Christ when we raise from the dead, but we will be different. There's a mystery. It's a new form that's greater and different. I've I've got to say, this really, really ought to blow our minds. I mean, we can be amazed by some pretty foolish things, and we can get excited about some very temporal things, and this ought to be one of life's great, the greatest motivator in life. There's a a video I watched this week of a ping-pong trick shot, where four or five guys who have got life so good that people will pay them to make ping pong trick shots. They set up all these things and do things with a ping pong ball that evidently is pretty amazing, so much so that 122 million people have watched it on YouTube. See, our minds are fairly easily blown. In a couple of weeks, some of us, don't judge, I might be one of them, we're going to stand in line for hours for something our kids have to have, right? And it's going to break at 4.37 p.m. on Christmas Day. <laughs> or if it works real, real good, if it's electronics, it'll last on average nine months. Enjoy your Christmas shopping, friends. <laughs> See, these bodies that are put in the ground, some that have tragically died by burning or disfigured in accidents or ravaged by disease in a mysterious way, they are going to raise to life in a most beautiful, amazing, incredible form. It's going to be as great a change as as the reality that a pumpkin can come from this. Can you just imagine that? This picture of Revelation ought to encourage us, but He doesn't stop at the picture of resurrection. He then goes on to talk about the power of resurrection. The power of resurrection. Verse 42. Verse 42, He says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is Imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown in natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. As if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. This power of resurrection is this that it's we die perishable by nature. We our physical bodies they perish. They die. I, I heard someone say as a young believer. When we raise from the dead, our bodies will be like Adam's and Eve's were before the fall. That's not correct. See, Adam and Eve, they were susceptible to deception and sin. They were corruptible because they got corrupted. They were perishable. They didn't eat when they were kicked out of the garden from the tree of life, and so they died as God said would happen if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their bodies were perishable. The bodies we get will be imperishable. They'll be imperishable. They'll be better. It very well may be, we don't know, but there are musical notes right now that we cannot hear. You know, you have those whistles, those of you who like to annoy dogs that you can blow. You can't hear it, the dog can hear it. Well, within that range, there are musical notes that the human ear can't hear. We may be able to hear musical notes that we can't hear. We may be able to see colors that we can't see. It will be so different than we could ever imagine there. From perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to glory. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Some of you have seen folks who were once very, very strong in the weakness of that dying hour. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they were told that there would be some dishonor or even a curse to this life, that she would have pain in childbirth, that her desire would be for her husband or to rule over her husband. He was told that he would work and it would be burdensome. There would be toil. It would be by sweat and thorns and thistles. And when we go to the new heavens and the new earth that Gary talks to us about next week, there will be vocation, but it will be without burden. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power, which is really good news because right now we know this concept that the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, that will no longer be the case. What's sown in weakness, it'll be raised in power. And the power will be just as powerful as the weakness is weak. He'll be raised in power. Some of you are dealing with disease or sickness or pain or medical condition right now. Some of you, it's not that serious, but like me with my shoulder, you didn't need to look at the weather when it was going to be cold the next day because pain told you. Or maybe when it's going to be humid, there's a little more pressure and that joint just hurts. And what is sown in weakness? That's all going away. It's all going away. Sometimes God gives us reminders of our weakness this year, right before my wife's birthday, when she was turning 28. Um, what are you laughing at? She was, I started feeling a little funny. Um, another, another way of saying that is I was feeling really odd and sick and showing symptoms, but because I'm a wise and humble man, I didn't tell anybody about it. And those symptoms started to increase and increase. And and so finally, uh, I woke up one morning and I I looked a little funny. And I mean, more so than like this, right? And my wife said, you need to go to the doctor right now. And so I did. And there are a lot of things, a lot worse that it could have been. But what it was is that somewhere inside my body, I was bleeding. um, And I'd let it get a little bit further than it should have Um, I was passing out in my hospital room that night further than it should have. And as I laid there, happy birthday, honey. (laughs) As I laid there in that hospital bed, I was just reminded just how frail and how weak we are. How much we need God to give us life and breath and everything else every day. See, what is sown in weakness? One day this body will be put in the ground. But when it's, Raised up, it will be raised up in power. What is sown as a natural body will be raised as a spiritual body. See, there's the struggle with disease and sickness, but then there's also this struggle with sin. Now, for many of us in here, even since you came to Christ, there's something that many days it just feels like you just can't beat. Maybe it's a bottle, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's lust, maybe it's greed, maybe it's pride, maybe it's jealousy, Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's the burden that you want forgiveness, and someone's just bitter against you, and what is sown natural will be raised spiritual. We will have these new bodies. Gary and Dave and I, Gary and Dave and I had been talking about this reality of resurrection as we were preparing this eternity series. And I walked into a room in our church office and my wife said, I can't tell you what room it was, but I was standing washing my hands and there was a mirror in front of me. And Gary, if you know Gary well, he really, really likes his biceps. So Gary walked up behind me, this is a true story, and he does the low flex, which is kind of Gary's go-to Flex. And uh he looks over my shoulder and he goes, "You know, I got to be honest. I don't know what that resurrection body's going to look like, but I can't imagine my biceps will be bigger than they are now." <laughs> Grab the paper towel, dry it off my hands. I'm out. <laughs> See, it's a mystery, but it, it'll be different. I walked by his office. I said, "Gary, I know I know it's hard to imagine, but they they might they might be better." They they just might be better. There's this promise of resurrection there's the power of resurrection let me say a couple of things about our bodies because there may be a couple of kinds of people in this room and some of you like me when you think about your body you think man i wish it looked like that person's i wish it were different don't go tell gary i wish that my arms looked like his because I, I don't you know they're attached to a bald head right but maybe i wish they looked different or maybe i was a little bit taller you know i'm not going to be shooting guard for the warriors any Maybe I had better ability. Maybe my mind was a little bit sharper. And you hear, oh, my body will be perfect. My body will be perfect. Or maybe, maybe... All right, I'm popping a little bit. We're going to switch here. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you're one of those people that you think, man, I'm glad my body doesn't look like Chase's. It looks so much better, right? Which that would be most of you, okay? Okay? I don't know why y'all would think that, but it would. And you just think, I just wish it were a little, little more perfect. And you spend a lot of time thinking about it. And you kind of go, well, not really much. Well, no, yeah, in our culture, we actually do that. And here's the reality. When we get to be with Jesus forever in our resurrection bodies, they will be perfect. But maybe the best thing about them is we won't think about them at all. We just won't think about them at all The presence, the beauty, the strength, the glory, the power, the light of Jesus will overwhelm everything else in the most wonderful of ways that leads us to ever-increasing joy in Him for all eternity. And I don't want us to miss that. Ever-increasing joy means this, that you get there in the first day, it's so amazing, and you think there is no way anything could ever even be better than this any time and the next day it just feels a little bit better and as our knowledge of him increases because we will be like him our joy in him increases for all eternity there's a picture of resurrection there's the power of resurrection and then there's the prototype of resurrection I only have one free hand so I can probably only talk half as fast now y'all pray for me There's the prototype of resurrection. Well, what is that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49, the first man was from earth. That's Adam, a man of dust. He was made from dust and he would return to dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. See, the scripture says that we're made in the image of God, but because of the fall, there is something profoundly broken about that. But one day we will perfectly bear the image of the man of heaven. He is the prototype. If we go back in the chapter a little bit, Verses 20 and 21, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, by Adam came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, you might read that and think, Chase, is that teaching universalism? Does that mean everybody's going to be there? No, it's not. Keep reading. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. You don't want to miss that today because you might be in this room and it's your first or second time in a church building or you might have been here for 50 years. And those who rise to eternal life are those who belong to Christ. Now make no mistake about it, all will rise. And Matthew 25, 46 says that those who are in Christ will rise to eternal life and those who are not will rise to eternal destruction. Forever and ever separated from the presence of God in torment. So you don't want to miss that whole belong to Christ part. You want to nail that down with certainty. Those who belong to Him will know Him because the Scripture says we will be made like Him. There's a picture of resurrection. There's the power of resurrection. There's this prototype of resurrection, Jesus. And then there is the promise of resurrection. The promise of resurrection, these last eight verses walk us through really what this is. The promise of resurrection is a changed people. We will be a changed people. Behold, I tell you, it's a mystery. If somebody says, I understand what it's going to be like, they're wrong because Paul says it's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, just like in the TBC nursery, right? Right? They don't all sleep, but they are all changed. Not like that, actually. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. As better a different as we can imagine. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. We'll be a changed people and so now we ought to be a changed people giving a picture to the world of what resurrection life looks like. We will be a victorious people. We'll be a victorious people. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying... That is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be changed, and we shall be victorious over sin and over death. And just a real quick point. I don't know if you hate death, but I, I hate death. See because of death I don't go to the same house I used to go to at Thanksgiving Those loved ones are they've gone on or when when there's something that's really heavy on mine or my wife's heart there are people that once we called that we can't call anymore The sting of death is sin so here's a I think a great motivator for holiness for us is this if you hate death you ought to hate your own personal sin. Can you imagine if we hated our own sin as much as we hate death? Because death entered the world because of sin. But we will one day have victory over the power, penalty, and presence of sin and death. So because we're a victorious people, we are going to be a grateful people. Thanks be to God who gives us this victory. Thanks be to God because... The hardest afflictions we have, Paul says, are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. I can't imagine how amazing and heavy and overwhelming that weight of glory must be that the afflictions of this life would be called light and momentary. Persecution that some of our brothers and sisters across the world face. Dementia. Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, fatherless children, broken families, alcoholism, drug abuse, light and momentary. We'll be victorious, so we'll be grateful. And so therefore, we are an exhorted people. The last verse, the last verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding In the work of the Lord, that word abounding, it's parousia. It's Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. It's translated lavished. It's that God lavished His kindness on us. He poured it out. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's the idea that the work of the Lord ought to be flowing out of us every day, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Have you ever done something and you've been working on it maybe all day or maybe several days and you get to the end of it and you realize that you did it wrong? I'm not asking men about things you put together and didn't read the directions there, okay? Or you, have you ever been working on something and you're trying to get something fixed around your house and it breaks three times in the process? That's also known as plumbing. See, You might share the gospel with someone and they reject it. You might seek to love or forgive someone and they don't care about your forgiveness. You might seek forgiveness and they won't give it to you. You might care for the poor in ways that you feel like they don't appreciate. You might do all kinds of things for people. And here's what you can know in Jesus, that none of that is in vain. Because there's a resurrection coming when things done in Christ Will last. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain because Jesus rose from the dead and one day he will raise these perishable, weak, dishonorable natural bodies into imperishable, strong, glorious spiritual bodies and we will be with the Lord forever. God, we thank you for this reality of resurrection that we long for and look toward. God, Help us to be steadfast and immovable in our faith, sure of our resurrected Savior. And God, help us, even when it's hard, even when we're tired, even when it's met with resistance, help us to lovingly always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in Christ is not in vain. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.